I said good day, sir. You don't ever plan anything around the eagles because the eagles represent the grace of God. Okay. You heathen bastards. What a vanilla nebbish name. Well, you know, orcs are people too. I'm thinking of that one cult that got taken out with one punch. So he's got a wall, okay. a gall, a gall, and a wall. Every time you mention the eagles, I think Don Henley. <laughs> is on assignment. He is currently putting in flooring or painting over paneling or stripping out a ceiling. He bought a house from the 1950s and he's trying to bring it up to the 2010s uh, because that's what budget for this podcast would allow. Um, so instead, I brought with us a guest. It's one of the few times that we've had a guest, uh, but I'm very, very pleased. This is, in fact, our most educated guest we have ever had on this show. Uh, with me, right here in front of me, is Ms. Almost Doctor Amanda Lanham. <laughs> Almost Doctor. <laughs> A.D. Amanda Lanham, A.D. <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, glad to have you. Uh, so we normally start by a little bit of uh, witty banter. I've clearly blown that. But uh, why don't you tell us what you got going on this week so people at least have some ideas to who this person I'm talking to is. Well, um, first, I think I've known Damien since I was... 14 or something like that when we went to high school together <laughs> so um and i am he alluded to some education so i did my uh most of a phd um at harvard specializing in ancient art and archaeology um and now i do something completely different i'm a yoga teacher so i teach at core power yoga here in the east bay san francisco area um and this week, all I have going on is teaching my yoga students and getting ready for Christmas because that's happening. Nice. Do you, do you find that when you do uh, the yoga teaching uh, that you're able to incorporate any of the art history stuff, like downward thing that looks like a horse but also a griffin, <laughs> or like you know stretching toward uh, Tiamat or anything like that? <laughs> Not nothing quite that specific, but sometimes we'll often incorporate a theme to our yoga classes and it gives us an opportunity to kind of pull through some of the philosophical ideas of yoga something beyond just the physical postures um, and i'll often frame things around this idea of uh, being a, paying attention to your foundation um, because when you look at things from like the archaeological record 
mm-hmm. walls and ceilings and balconies, those things don't survive. But what's left at the end of the day is the footprint, the foundation. Um, yeah. That's that's the thing that lasts. So okay. that's probably about as much as I pull through in my actual yoga teaching. I also get the opportunity to lead a lot of rounds of teacher training. And so then I get a little bit geeky around the history because I can talk about like the Vedic period and that it's an mm-hmm. Indo-European language that Sanskrit comes from and how it's related sure. to Mesopotamia and Indus Valley seal impressions and things like that. But nice. my students will pretend like they care mostly because they like <laughs> to humor me. Sure. <laughs> okay. So I did, I did tell someone once in um, our round of teacher training, I was leading an anatomy lecture and I gave some kind of really weird fact about the pubic symphysis, which is a way that archaeologists can date skeletons by the amount of wear on the pubic symphysis cartilage. Mm -hmm. And but the way that I framed it was like, yeah, in a past life, in my past life, I was an archaeologist. And then I had a student come up to me afterwards and like, really? So do you remember your past lives? (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah, like in the past life before I managed this yoga studio. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. so yeah, I guess uh, I guess we're we're bringing your your greatest hits uh, west of the Euphrates now. Yes, is really <laughs> what's going on. Uh, well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am nowhere near as interesting. I'm merely a Latin teacher watching Latin die yet again, um, <laughs> and a drama teacher watching drama die yet again, and uh, I'm a high school teacher watching my soul die yet again. So. <laughs> I'm up here in Northern California uh, dealing with a lot of that. So, uh, but uh, the most interesting thing that happened to me this week actually um, is that tomorrow, now as of this uh, listening, this is several weeks in the future. Uh, the future is pretty cool. There's nice coffee. Um, but uh, several weeks ago, per your listening right now, uh, I turned 44. And I uh, was invited to my outlaw's house, uh, no longer my in-laws, but they're my outlaws. And, and my, my mother outlaw still treats me as her son. It's really nice. Oh, that is nice. Yeah. They surprised me with a cake, um, which, was, which was neat. Did not expect it because we went up there to, uh, for my daughter to be able to make her present for her mom. Mm. I'm very, very encouraging of that. You know, she's yeah. always their mom. Uh, regardless of of our relationship, uh, that that is important for them to honor. Uh, so my daughter made uh, the rice bag for her mom. It's really nice. Um, and my girlfriend texted me while I was up there. She's like, "Hey, I know you're having a good time." Uh, and and I sent her a picture of the cake. And she's like, "Oh wow, I forgot you're turning 44." Uh, and she said, "Now she had lived a significant chunk of her life in China, um, Ooh, where she learned Chinese." And uh, and she uh, she texted me. She's like, "Oh." You know, your birthday is like one of the most unlucky birthdays there is because it means death, death. <laughs> and <laughs> so, like, all right. So as of this listening, uh, she may have predicted my untimely future uh, or you know, so just this, this might be like a posthumous, posthumous yeah, uh, yeah. podcast. Yeah. So is your birth your birthday is tomorrow? Yes. The darkest the day same, of the year. That's the same as my mom's birthday. No kidding. Yeah. Or and my. Or, Go yeah. on. Oh, and today is mm-hmm. my outlaws. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's today's my outlaws uh, birthday as well. So I just texted wow. her a little while ago to wish her a happy birthday. So, nice. Some good, good juju right around this time. Yeah. You know, so it gets kind of fun. So you knew me when we were we, we lads and lasses. <laughs> you uh, were never I was, we. But... I was never we. No, <laughs> I, I was, 
a little more bean poly, but not even <laughs> then. Like, let's be honest. Uh, it's just the chub was in different I mean, places. You had legs for days. That, that did. Much, I, know. I was a thoroughbred, let me tell you. Uh, but um, when we were that young, there was a gal that I knew that I got to be very good friends with that I, I fell for head over heels for years, carried quite the torch. Uh, she and I have the exact same birthday. Uh, my cousin, whom I just spoke I to. so badly to ask you who this is. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I will tell you uh, off air. So. <laughs> but uh, my cousin, uh, and she knows. I mean, I, I told her and then, you know, there's a whole sad, tragic 19, late 1990s vibe that happened with it. But my cousin, <laughs> who is emo. two years. Yeah, yeah <laughs> proto emo. Yeah. Uh, but my cousin, who's two years younger than me, is two years younger than me to the day. Mm. Uh, my slightly older cousin is one day older than I am. This gal's sister is two or three years older than she is, mm -hmm. plus a day, because her birthday was also on the 20th. Both of us had grandmothers born on the 19th. It just got really weird. Like the connections between huh. the two of us were odd and multi. So yeah, there's a lot of spring fever. I think that's really the 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 real lesson here <laughs> is that there's a lot of people boning in March. I think that's well, you know, it's cold still in March. It is do but something to stay warm. Things are opening a little bit, you know, <laughs> the flowers, the legs. It's no longer so cold that you refuse to take your clothes off. Right. Where you're not just like bundled and shivering. Now it's like, okay, well, we could try friction. That's fine. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So and thus I came into the world nine months later. <laughs> so fun stuff. Uh my son actually is is also a December baby. Um, so there's a lot of March manufacturing going on. So, well, and I'm a November baby. So, you know, I was just like, you're, you're, you're a Valentine's present. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I would say you're a Valentine's present, but clearly past the point where they had to impress each other. Cause that would be a different <laughs> kind of Valentine's present. Well, I was the fourth child. So like, oh I my was God. way past the point where they had to impress each other. I have only ever known you as the only person from your family. Like, oh. I just thought that you were like, like some Roman miracle. You just, I just popped came up out from the earth. Formed. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of always seem that way. Like, <laughs> you're just like your own person. Like, there was no exploration. You were already on your path. Oh, I'm so. so glad that you thought that about me at that age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was as lost as everyone else, but. Oh, okay. But if you were, to, if you ever get the opportunity to meet my sisters. Mm-hmm. I will make so much more sense to you. <laughs> like, okay, now I want to just just for that clear. reason. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, so by by how many are you the youngest? Um, I am my sister Deborah is mm -hmm. nine years older than me, and my sister Julie is sixteen years older than me, and my oldest sister actually she passed away when I was an infant, um, okay. but she would have been one year older than Julie. So we were very family is very catholic so we okay. all have a different yeah. form of birth control associated with our conception sure because catholics not terrible i mean the in in all fairness the first form of birth control was the i'm a virgin and i didn't know i could get pregnant the first time um and then the second child was the rhythm method so like they weren't trying real hard right fun <laughs> fact did you know so the the original doctors that came up with the rhythm method in the united states at least or brought it to us um they had it right but they had it completely wrong. And it was their classism <laughs> that didn't inform them how wrong they were. So they had the idea right, uh -huh. but they literally switched black for white. They literally switched the, 
most with the least days. And their response to the fact that all these people were getting pregnant, they're like, well, they're the stupid poor people. Of course, they're getting pregnant. They're just oh. doing it wrong. They just got it backwards. Or they're and it's doing like, it right. Yeah, exactly. I'm just like, oh, dear me. So, yeah, fun stuff. Oh, well, I do miss. It's really the rhythm method in a lot of ways is like the, the same kind of th thought process that people use to get pregnant now. So, you know, yeah, it really is. I mean, you, you aim for you either aim yeah. for or you avoid you a certain number right. of days. You yeah. figure out when you're fertile, you're either going for it or you're not. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, hey, what do you know about soap? Oh, my gosh. I used to watch that show when I was a kid. Um, Me too. Which is probably like I was trying to actually remember what channel that would have been on reruns on because when I looked up, mm -hmm. I wasn't sure what years those were. And it was clearly like it started aired in 77 when at right. which point I was not born yet. So right. clearly like a little outside of my time. Um, and I was trying to remember like what TV network we must have watched that on because we watched it religiously. Um, but my my mom had this tendency to let me watch just whatever she wanted to watch because again, mm -hmm. I was the fourth child. You stopped trying with that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we're gonna fuck the kid up no matter what. So just, yeah, just don't just use the, the good dice. silver for heroin. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so she had a history of letting me watch things that were totally inappropriate. So as much as I watched soap, I also watched a lot of soap operas. So oh. we were big Days of Our Lives fans mm -hmm, in Santa Barbara mm -hmm. in my house. I remember so Santa Barbara. So it was kind yeah. of fun to have both the actual soap, but mm -hmm. also the parody of the soap. Mm -hmm. Because then when they do something like demonic possession on the parody, you're like, oh, yeah, I've actually yeah. seen that episode yeah, yeah. on Real Days of Our Lives. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I also had a similar experience. I actually... I because i grew up in san francisco and you're an east bay brat mm -hmm. it's entirely likely that we were watching the same channels because back then broadcast yeah. tv so i don't know and if y'all got like coffee tv 20 was i like was gonna ask go -to. if you got kofy <laughs> tv 20 that's how i used to watch twilight zone yes at a totally inappropriate age kofy is why yeah. i started watching pro wrestling <laughs> Like it was the AWA came through yeah. on KOFY TV 20 stereo, Sacramento, San Francisco. Yes. <laughs> it's because of that network that talking Tina still haunts my nightmares. <laughs> and Kojak is your savior. It's this weird <laughs> fetish thing. Um, so I don't think it was on coffee. I really don't because coffee seemed to be the second tier syndication. Yeah, that's So I right. th think channel 44 might have been your your jam for that. Maybe. Channel 44 was like the first real syndication one, but I remember watching soap. And again, I, I'm only a year older than you, I think. Yeah. Um, and I I lived in San Francisco from the ages of four till about 10. And I can pinpoint it even more because I watched it when my dad was in my life. Now I didn't meet my dad until I was and for 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 your information, uh, my dad is not the same person as my father. My father made me okay. Uh, my dad is the one who raised me. Uh, he it. adopted me after my brother was born, uh, after he and my mom got married when I was about eight. Uh, it's when I went from Smith to Sessions. So anybody mm -hmm. trying to steal my identity, here's some hints. You've uh, really like thrown people off the scent. Boy, howdy. Like... Yeah. Yeah. It's actually kind of fun. My little brother's last name is Smith because, you know, he was fathered by the same sire. Uh, he kept it. Um, and then my my sister, I have a whole lot of family members I'm not consanguineal with, but my sister, um, she is with a man whose name is Martel Smith. 
my uh, my ex-wife, uh, her twin sister married a Dan Smith. Um, their cousin married a Zach Smith. <laughs> Theoretically, both of these two twin gals, my ex-wife and her sister, married in many ways a D Smith, if you're an essentialist, <laughs> because yeah. I'm a Damien Smith, you know. Uh, but I just, you know, evolved since then. I don't, I don't know. Um, it's like Pokemons. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what I really love is that every single one of my siblings has married someone darker than they were, including myself. Like, it, it doesn't take much. Yeah, you're fairness. kind of translucent. Yeah, yeah. So, like, even my background is darker than I am. Yeah. You know? So. <laughs> Uh, now this is not a visual medium; it's it's just a, a audio medium. But uh, behind that me he's is very pale. Yes, yes, quite so, <laughs> weathered and still pale. It's a weird combo. Um, but uh, my favorite part, though, is that my sister, who's from Yemen, she's the darkest of all my sips. My one of my brothers married a, a gal who's uh, Filipina. Um, my brother Bowie married a gal who is clearly several shades darker than than he is, um, uh, of of Polish extraction. Um, but, uh, my sister who's from, uh, who's from Yemen, well, she's not from Yemen, but her family is from Yemen. Mm -hmm. Um, she married Martel and, uh, Martel is very black. Uh, so, um, he, but he, and that's, I, I get a kick out of the fact that he is a black Smith, um, <laughs> because her last name was Farrier. Yeah, so, <laughs> but okay. So soap. Uh, it was on TV. I think it was on syndication by the time I was watching it because I can pinpoint it, it as I had to have been four or five, which means we're talking 1982, 1983. Yeah. So it might have been the because I remember the episode with El Puerco. You know, no one calls oh, El Puerco yeah. the dog. <laughs> so I think that was the very last season. So I think I was still conscious of the very last season as we watched it uh -huh. um and i so i remember my dad just howling with laughter about soap um so it left an impression on me uh and unfortunately i've not been able to see it anywhere but you found it actually recently on an app I is did that app on an app yeah. called tubi tubi which i never really heard of before but i did a mm -hmm. quick little google search for it and i was uh watching season one earlier today so nice yeah, yeah. maybe i'll come yeah, up with you know, a date night soon yeah i appreciate that so uh this episode is called the cleansing of american tv through banning soap hmm. yes so uh they as, as uh, they didn't quite ban it but it wasn't as though they didn't try uh huh. and and as we have found that many things that are made in the 80s are ruined by the fact that they were made in the 80s so <laughs> You know, this is yet another episode where I beat up on Ronald Reagan, uh, which Ed is going to be kicking himself for not having been a part of, but too damn bad. Uh, maybe someday <laughs> in the far flung future, I'll, I'll redo these episodes for him as well. <laughs> so soap helped to congeal and to train groups that uh, pushed Reaganism into the 1980s and shifted the conversation to the point where they were in power and anything that came after them would have to contend with the resetting of those norms. Hmm. Confused? You won't be after okay. this podcast. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about Susan Harris. Susan Harris mm -hmm. was born Susan Spivak in October of 1940 in Mount Vernon, New York. Uh, her parents, Benjamin and Bertha Spivak, who was an accountant and a housewife, whom Susan stated were, quote, not weird at all in a 1978 interview, <laughs> which... <laughs> That's it. The lady doth protest too much. <laughs> right. Uh, or or she really values weird and, and she's like, my parents weren't it. 
you know? Um, <laughs> now her life was a standard middle-class child or grandchild. I couldn't actually find far back enough of Jewish immigrants. So either her parents were immigrants and, and got professional very quickly, or they were the children of immigrants. And I just, I couldn't find the record back far enough. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps if we had sponsors, I could have afforded memberships to things like that. But in the 1890s, there was a huge influx of Jewish, Italian, and Black Americans who moved into and settled in Mount Vernon. Uh, now, this is Mount Vernon, New York, not, you know, the, the place Mount where Wa- uh, Washington is. Because yeah. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of Black people who were brought to Mount Vernon there, but that was a very different story. Different, different reasons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, shortly after that, uh, northbound trains from Ellis Island swelled the population of Westchester County from 184,000 up to 520,000 by 1930. Now, I say 1930 because in 1924, the United States government passed the Immigration Act. Now, I know that your history, your knowledge of history goes back very, very far. I don't know how up on the last hundred years in the United States you you are. Ancient historians don't say that the last hundred years is history. Ah. And I use scare quotes around history for the (laughs) listening audience. All right. Well, in that case, in 1924, uh, the United States had a government that actually did things. Uh, They didn't do the right (laughs) thing, but they did things. uh, And they passed the Immigration Act, uh, which essentially limited severely very, very specific types of immigration that the United States would accept. Um, It set quotas based in part uh, on who was already here. uh, But mostly it was a way to encode white supremacy into the immigration uh, policies in general. Uh, specifically, it set very strict quotas on Ita- Italy, Greece, most of Eastern Europe, and set a ban on almost all Asian immigration based on the ni- 1890 census. So <laughs> it was passed in 24, but it's like based on these numbers from 34 30 years, years ago. ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is really some good old days kind of bullshit there. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it set the quotas at 3% of the total population which at that time was about 350,000 people a year. Now, Northwestern Europeans were the right kind of white people, so there were no real restrictions on them. And interestingly, it also left Latin America alone, presumably because there were other policies that could be used to enact many ethnic cleansings as needed. Right. We had like some racist guardrails at. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was one of those, well, we need them for work, but we want to be able to kick them out later. Oh, that's no problem. We'll figure that out. Like we, <laughs> we've, we've got the, the LAPD, we've got the CHP. We're good. Like those both got, you know, like those were both like on the border of California telling Okies not to come. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's bad. Uh, but in the 1930s, there was a woman named Lilia Kassendorf Cavi. Uh, you may or may not have heard of her. You are, vibrantly uh, a member of the east coast for quite some time um i think that's how we call living out there is you were a member of that coast is that correct yeah. yes they they, yeah. they let me become a member after a certain amount of time of having to prove myself right it's like can you get into a fist fight at a stoplight you're in nice <laughs> that's, nice that's i like realistic. a boston fire drill it's, oh, it's yeah. far less racist yeah uh <laughs> so she was the first woman that was granted a banking license in new york um, and she busted her ass afterwards to help 125 Jewish families from Baltic nations and Southern Europe to be able to immigrate to the U.S. because she was reading the papers and saw what fascism was doing in the 1930s all over New York. 
So she's a badass. In 1955, hmm. skipping ahead, don't worry, we're going to get back to Susan okay. Harris, who is, you know, uh, we'll, we'll get to what Someplace she did. in between there. Yeah, yeah. But in 1955, Jordanian immigrants moved into nearby Yonkers, uh, mostly for factory work. Um, and they begin the basis for the city's Arab-American community. And in 1965, the Immigration Act of 24 was actually softened finally. It specifically eased immigration quotas against Asians and Eastern Europeans. But then it went and began restricting immigration from Latin America for the first time. So it's well, it was a matter of time. I mean, yeah, but it's also like, oh, hey, we stopped being shitty, but not to everyone. <laughs> like, now it's your turn. You know? We just shifted focus, really. Really? Yeah. Like... Yeah. It's it's. The weirdest thing. So this changing landscape, this this entrenchment of older communities, immigrant communities, the fluidity of newer communities stop starting up and the activism of Jewish women uh, who are businesswomen. Uh, this was the soup in which Susan Harris would come of age. Remember, she was born in 1940, which means uh, she turns 18 in 1958. Uh, she goes to college at Cornell and New York University. She studied English literature. She never actually finished her degree. Um, but this would have that. taken, yeah, it's a shock of shocks <laughs> back then. This would have taken her up till at the latest 72. Uh, and she went from being a very standard cheerleader in a traditional middle-class family to being, as she put it, quote, very tortured, but that she quote, loved every minute of it. <laughs> that, so she's a sadist. Yeah, a bit, a bit. Um, so this tension that was in place in Westchester County, I, I can't even call it animosity, really, but the tension uh, had this constant influx of immigrants, right? You have these new communities being formed, old communities holding on to what they had. Uh, that definitely fed into her creative process. Susan Harris is the creator and the writer of Soap. And if you look at Soap, isn't it one family is middle class and the other family right. married into wealth. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she finds that hilarious and she's seeing old money new money. She's seeing old and new experience and, she, and if you look at the characters she starts filling in these families with, uh you you get a lot of the same. Now, especially as urban blight was really taking hold in the public consciousness in the 1970s. Carter later observed in his General Malay's speech, Carter being the president of the United States at the time, uh, the General Malay's speech is kind of a fun one because he actually never said those words. But it's been titled the, the, the General Malay's speech ever since then. Uh, he said, uh, so Jimmy Carter said, quote, the threat is nearly invisible in ordinary ways. It is a crisis of confidence. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. We can see this crisis in the growing doubt about the meaning of our own lives and the loss of, of a unity of purpose uh, for our nation. Now, he didn't just mean petroleum and consumer confidence either. He was referring to what had happened throughout the 1970s vis-a-vis -vis the failure of our institutions to answer the needs of its people. Hmm. So quick question. Yeah. Is it just called the General Malay speech because someone was like, yeah, he's just... <laughs> Yeah. Telling our sad story. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and so there's this tradition that's not really a tradition. It's kind of like having in God we trust on our money or under God in our pledge. Like it's a relative or having people sing the, the Star Spangled Banner at football games. These are all relatively new traditions. The Star Spangled Banner one being since 2009. Um, I think Seriously? it's younger than. My, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the United States government gave a crap ton of money to the NFL 
to spruce up the patriotism pregame. Prior to that, teams used to hang out in the locker room while all of that shit was going on. Because, you know, I did actually sing the national anthem at a 49ers game when I was a kid. Did you really? I did. How old were you? I mean, I, was in, I, I wasn't doing it by myself. It was with my choir, but. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. It, was, I, it I, wasn't just hand Amanda the microphone and like. Well, because I had a friend who actually, she and a buddy sang the national anthem at the beginning of a Giants game. Oh. Now there's a lot more of those. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, but still There's only like 13 yeah football games a season so you know. yeah uh i think 16 by the 16. time you would have sung it yeah so it means eight home yeah it's it's yeah. that's quite a thing that's pretty rad yeah um I, i'm i've got some really weird facts that i like to bring into the drinking game uh two truths and a lie two truths and a lie so, yeah. yeah i did that just recently with some union folk and uh I was like, yeah, uh, you know, it reminds me of the time I stabbed a man to death with a, a swizzle stick while wearing a camisole. And I said, which also reminds me of the time that my boss's mom pinched my nipple on the way up to the kitchen. Uh, and that also reminds me of the time that I accidentally dressed in black blackface. And we just played two truths and a lie. And they're just like, I really hope that the murder the is black the truth. face. I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was a kid. I wanted to be a ninja. I described a ninja's mask, and that guy was clearly working just for tips. So my I, yeah. my two truths are uh -huh. that I sang the national anthem at a 49ers game, uh -huh. and that I found a 3,000-year-old temple, Ooh. because that actually did happen. Um, it, and I, I fall apart when I try to bring in a lie. I'm like, what? What lie goes with those things? Where they're they gonna choose that one and not? I always say that my father was the bassist for the Doors. Oh, that's a good one. Because historically, you know, the Doors never had a bassist. Oh, so it's true. Yeah, tricky. And then yeah. you just totally judged their musical knowledge too. Yeah, all in one. Exactly. Week. See, it all works. It all Got works. It. Got it. So. So I uh, completely lost. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the General Malay's speech, um, it, his speech was actually the first time. So the, 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 the State of the Union address used to have to be delivered to Congress. And it was literally just sent as a letter until Woodrow Wilson did it. Like there was a long period of time where nobody gave a speech to Congress who was president. And then Woodrow Wilson went and spoke to Congress. And then when we got to the age of television, it was right. a much more regular thing. And it became the spectacle. Carter was the only one that I could find and, and geek timers feel free to find me links and send them to our Twitter. Um, but Carter was the only one I could find who actually said the state of our union is weak. Hmm. Everybody else, you know, tries to jerk us off. Right. Um, you know, but Carter was like, no, it's clearly flaccid. We don't need to try. Um, you're just going to be trying to cram it in there. It's, it's an oyster. That's a slot what she machine. said. Exactly. <laughs> <Sorry>. Exactly. So, <laughs> But uh, so uh, and what he's doing is he's pointing out, look, the 70s has been a huge failure. And that failure was largely the result of the choices that society made in 1968 following the assassinations of Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy. Um, basically, America turned around and chose Richard Nixon uh, and his conservatism, uh, bolstered even more by the imagination grabbing hard hat riots of the 1970s in New York, uh, 1970s, specifically in New York. Nixon absolutely co-opted that, by the way, uh, which included like they sent him a hard hat, which led to <laughs> led. And it was essentially a bunch of um, construction workers um, who how to put this uh, went and beat the shit out of some anti-war protesters. That's all it was. And it was this one small local 
but Democrats, because they love to step on their own tail all the time, were <laughs> like, oh, we've lost unions completely. And it's like, bro, that was so McGovern did nothing to court unions, even though that was a, a bulwark of Democrat votes. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, McGovern got really trounced in the 1972 election, losing all but his own state. Um, and so I always like to say that uh, when when America needed to go left, McGovern went liberal instead. Um, <laughs> so anyway, in 1970, Susan Harris, back to Susan Harris, uh, she successfully wrote and soap, sold an TV show. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> she successfully wrote and sold an episode script for the TV show Then Came Bronson, which was a Star Trek meets Easy Rider type of show where the reporter gets disillusioned, quits his job, and heads out on the road, wandering around on his Harley. Uh, and he helps and teaches people on the way. Um, it seems to have inspired the movie or the TV series Kung Fu and The Incredible Hulk. Really? Out on the road, helping people every episode, that kind of thing. Uh, Harris said about how much she was paid. She said, quote, there's something really obscene about that much money when people are going hungry. Hmm. Oh, so she did. She did well with that episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and the thing was, she she had gotten divorced. I want to say in 75 or 73. It's an odd number. Um, And she basically. She was like, I need to find a way to make money to feed me and my kid. And uh, and she divorced. Her, she was divorced from a um, a, a TV writer. Uh, and okay. so she's like, well, I can do that, too. And so she started to and, and she just started making money hand over fist. So did she, so. she didn't do any TV writing before that? It wasn't until. Yeah, it's really. Um, well, no. So she did some writing. She she'd she'd been a writer. Um, that's right. I think she that's was, how she met her. First lit, husband. Right. Yeah. Um, but in terms of her making some real money and selling her own scripts, not just doctoring things, not just mm-hmm. sprucing scripts up or punching up things. Um, yeah, it really was uh, a long came, then came Bronson. So the script reminds me for of that, that song, show. Like anything you can do, I can do better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so which is kind of, you know, that's cool, you know, yeah, especially in the 1970s, rad. like to be able to do that. Um, now she then went on to write for another TV shows, uh, with her real recognition coming from an episode of Maud. It was specifically oh, yeah. the abortion episode of Maud, which she wrote, which came out two months before the Roe v. Wade decision. Oh, wow. Yeah. Timely. Now, yeah, quite so. Uh, prescient, even. Mm-hmm. Um, CBS ran it a second time in August of 73. Uh, after the decision and it was really her first taste of the clergy objecting to her writing (laughs) but it wouldn't be her last either yeah i was gonna say buckle up baby (laughs) yeah like oh this is my brand uh in 1977 harris saw uh networks launching two shows that she created one was loves me loves me not starring susan day of partridge family fame um it was formulaic it was short-lived the second was soap. Uh, now, ABC had passed on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, which was a Norman Lear joint, uh, which startled me because, frankly, Norman Lear has this reputation of, of just having an enormous track record of success. And even back I then, who Norman Lear is. Oh, he uh, he was the guy behind All in the Family, behind Good oh, Times, okay. behind the Jeffersons. I mean, just yeah, like yeah, yeah. every successful family, you know, like family but also commentary based mm-hmm. uh comedy that was that was normally 
and a lot of it sounds like from those shows too a lot of like social stratification yes was a big focus yeah i mean it's even in the song we're moving on up yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh. well, and then like all in the family you get like the entirely whole other side of yeah um, and you and you also have the, the america the, life the generation gap too right you yeah. have the working class racist his enabling wife yeah uh but then you have their daughter who like grew up without those struggles and so she grew up with the material wealth and security to actually go off and learn and 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 not be so crystallized in her thinking and of course she marries meathead and and on and on and on and we have the very <laughs> improbable them like now that family dynamic makes a lot of sense. Like yeah. they can't afford to leave. But back then you absolutely could have like any, any, you could have bought a house for like, you know, $25 back then. Like it's, it's an, yeah. I'm exaggerating a little, I mean, but well, I mean, my grandmother bought her house in like 1943 for mm -hmm. $10,000 in San Francisco. Wow. And she, we sold it after she passed away for like a million dollars. So, you know, mm -hmm. just that's good return on investment. Yeah. Oh yeah. Super we good. we sold our house in San Francisco in 1988, 89 for $250,000, I think. Oof. I looked it up on Zillow. It has not yeah. sold since and it's about 1.3 million. It's nice that it hasn't sold since though. Yeah. Like yeah. that whoever whoever purchased it like Kept you know, it. home there. You yeah. Know. Yeah. Nice. And and why wouldn't you? The outer sunset is lovely. So <laughs> <sighs> but hey, you know, we went to start a rabbit farm in San, in, in Florida. So that was, you know, it, it was the experience. Oh, bunnies. Yeah, it is the rabbits along the way that that we saw made. That was the real reward. <laughs> so, but anyway, so Norman Lear, uh, his his show, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman uh, got passed on. Um, but then uh, ABC was like, oh, we fucked up. So the next show that comes around that's kind of like parodying a soap opera mm -hmm. is Soap. And they're like, yes, yes, we want that, please. So they immediately Greenlit. jumped on it. Immediately. <laughs> so from the outset, uh, ABC was very, very high on Susan Harris's work, uh, partly because they'd passed a Norman Lear's work. Mm -hmm. uh, also from the outset, uh, it was a send-up of soap operas. It was never meant to play straight. It was never meant... Right. Uh, to be anything but a parody it was a sex farce um which <laughs> yeah. in the 70s uh it, it's really kind of funny because a lot of people were were making fun of it for that and she has a response to that at the end of this quote that i like uh but she says quote i wanted to do a series where you weren't confined to a beginning middle and end in 23 minutes and that really was the appeal we would change the storyboard around. We could shift things, kill people, bring them back. If it didn't work out or if we had only scheduled this person for two episodes, they could become regulars. There was a lot to play around with. And that was my favorite show. Uh, and I, I just love like there's this like insane pragmatism to having yeah. parody. It was a, just a really convenient plot device for me right. to be able to move the story forward. <laughs> And you're like, oh, my God, there's such brilliance and layers to this. Nope, that's entirely incidental. You know, just like because we 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 really liked having this guy. So we wanted to keep him. But then he was a dick. So we killed him I, off. It's just like the perfect setup for someone that's commitment phobic. You're like, yeah, you know it's kind of like asking Today, someone. Out, we're going to kill him. Right. Tomorrow we'll bring it back to life. Whatever. <laughs> It'll be his evil twin. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's it's. Now that you say that, it's kind of like asking someone out on on uh, April Fools. 
<laughs> you know just kidding yeah oh oh no i was i was just kidding no those aren't my feelings strewn all over why is my voice getting higher i gotta go you know that kind of like i don't know why he turned irish just now but <laughs> it's, it's fine uh or or like putting lol at the end of a criticism you know on a text i have have you ever okay <laughs> So um, have you ever done the dating apps? Oh, God, a little bit. Okay. A little bit. I don't know what horrifying. it's like. You, okay. It is horrifying for a woman I mean, too. Okay. I, I am very, I'm very new to the experience, but I can just tell you oh, it Lord. feels like shopping for people. Yes. And that doesn't feel good. There's a weird urgency to it too. It's so you said you watched Twilight Zone when you yes. were a kid. Did you watch the I colorized did. version? Um, I mean, I watched it for a really long time so probably i don't recall it as much as well okay so there was a color version that came out in the mid 80s it was like oh 80, oh yeah i didn't watch that one too much oh, but i saw a few out. episodes like, okay so we there, tried there was one called the 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 children's zoo and the children's zoo was <laughs> it sounds it sounds oh, bad awesome <laughs> the kids bring the parents and the parents get put on display and the kids go and shop around for a new family <laughs> that's awesome that's like every child's dream yes <laughs> And, you know, it's kids of abusive parents, you know, who are just arguing the whole time. And it's a really uncomfortable watch at first. And then you're like, ah, fuck them. Um, but <laughs> but uh, like the parents that are in that the zoo are urgent. I wouldn't even say desperate, but urgent to get out. And that's what those apps feel like. There's an yeah. urgency for people to connect. It's it's yeah good luck have fun there's going to be a yeah, lot of yeah. mid-air collisions essentially is what i mean it ends I, up. I didn't renew my subscription so all right you know? cool. yeah <laughs> so if i'm going to meet someone it's going to be someone i know or it's going to be a friend of a friend that's just there you go. Be my life I think. there you go yeah uh <laughs> uh probably so not about yeah no kidding yeah uh geek timers your mission is clear uh <laughs> r.i.p your mention um but <laughs> But the reason I bring it up is because uh, there were very often people who were trying to neg me when I was in the digital dating world, but they would neg me with an LOL afterwards. <laughs> like, what, are you, what are you fucking doing? Like, that's that's what it feels like. Like, you can. Yeah. You, you know, it's a you know, uh, you know I, I don't really like that sweater on you. LOL. I'm like, why are you laughing out loud at that? Like, that's not even a funny <laughs> joke. Like, that doesn't make it less uncomfortable. Right. You know, I think I'll stick to the sweater. Thank you. Um, it has that same feel like, you know, yeah. oh, we just, you know, we could put things wherever we want. You know, it's, it's right. Like yeah. you said, for commitment phobic writer, <laughs> um, people came down on her pretty quickly about, oh, this is a sex comedy. We too much smut on TV and blah, blah, blah. Because it was the 70s. And it's, I think, very much a woman writer. Um, and she responded. Yeah. And she says that it was actually Charlie's Angels, not soap, that stressed sex to begin with. She said Charlie's Angels was, quote, the first of the Jiggly shows. <laughs> Which I've, I don't know if you ever watched Charlie's Angels. A little bit, yeah. They, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and it could just be that, you know, I'm, I'm so very skewed by what I came to appreciate later with, uh, you know, uh, Mrs. Garrett. Um, they weren't particularly large chested on Charlie's Angels. No, so but never... they didn't wear bras either. But that's not jiggly so much as like slappy. I mean, it is when they run. Even then it's floppy, you know, like it's not uh, yeah. jiggly. You got to have volume like Mrs. Garrett running across the screen. That shit was jiggly. <laughs> so. 
Yes, you're right. Mrs. Yeah. Garrett uh, did have a bigger rack than Farrah Fawcett. Boy, did she. And <laughs> and so, you know, again, uh, no no shade to Farrah Fawcett, uh, but just she, I'm you know. I'm sure her breasts were beautiful. I'm sure they were, but they weren't jiggly. Let's let's be real. Uh, but the 70s, you know, standards were different. You know, not everybody was was hip to Rue McClanahan yet. Uh, well, there was also, there was a lot of cocaine in the 70s. So. Good point. You Good know, point. Yeah. It's just the zeitgeist, I guess. Yeah. Good point. So she sold the show to the network based on this Bible that she wrote. It was the show Bible, which is a, a common term, actually. And, and she basically, huh. it had all of the characters, all of their backstories, all of their intersecting arcs. Um, it had everything. And she sold the show based on that. They read it and they loved it. They're like, yes. Um, so before it even aired in the fall season of 77, however, it was gaining critics uh, <laughs> because of this self-same Bible. Uh, because ABC in March had screened two episodes for its executives in almost 200 uh, of its affiliate stations. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's just the executives that are seeing it. Um, and of course, that gets leaked to Newsweek. Now, I have a special history with Newsweek based on what I did last spring break. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, I found if, if you got a problem with the writing, you go to the editor because um, you'll get apologies. You'll get things printed out for you. Uh, but in June, retraction section. Yes. <laughs> and they, there are several, several affiliates needed to retract several things. <laughs> Uh, but in June, Newsweek put out a preview of the show and they incorrectly stated that because it's fucking Newsweek, um, they incorrectly <laughs> stated that Soap had a Catholic priest getting seduced in a confessional. That's but, true. Yeah. I just watched that episode right before this conversation. There you go. So <laughs> does he get seduced in a confessional? Well, he's definitely in a confessional. Right. But the, the degree to which she's actually trying to seduce him. I mean, she's very forward for right. this period of time and for a confessional like sure. i've never taken that approach with my priests but you know i can't say i haven't taken that approach in life of just being like i want you right let's do this thing right <laughs> um but time and place and all of that and mm -hmm. um the fact that it probably was a f I, i'm very curious as to how much the fact that she was a female writer and showrunner mm -hmm. played a role just because you know hypocrisy and yeah. all of the you know be sexy don't be too forward be forward yeah. don't be too sexy yeah right. it just but but so would you say having just watched this episode that in fact she was seducing him in said confessional I, no i think she was right. laying out a convincing mm -hmm. argument as to why mm -hmm. they should be together right right um and uh, like her boobs were a little forward maybe but that's sure you know, they weren't jiggly i mean lead with yeah. lead with your assets exactly well that would be what are you yeah yeah it's complicated <laughs> confessionals aren't that big as i recall so no and but and, yeah. and like she does like fully like pull the screen away and like sure throw herself through it but she's also you know the very stereotypical doe-eyed kind of like why can't we be together i don't know like right there, right there's a you know the misogyny of the 70s is very present yes yes so so yeah, they said that she was seducing him. She wasn't. Uh, the reporter who went after them so hard was reporter Henry F. Waters, uh, who I found uh, several of his things. And it's like, if men could clutch their pearls, they would be <laughs> Henry F. Waters. Um, he is like the 1970s Hysterical. version of, yeah, of, of Anthony Comstock, you know, okay. the guy who was 
going after smut in the set in the uh-huh. 1870s, which was actually just birth control. Um, but he wrote in his preview, which was cleverly titled, it was called 99 and 44 percent impure. <laughs> That's now, pretty good. D- right. You remember uh, a clean 99.44? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I believe it was zestfully clean. Correct. Yeah, that, yeah, I think so. Um, it was either that or ivory. I want to clean as real as oh no, it was ivory. I want to clean ivory, as real yeah. as ivory and clean 99.44. Uh and that was the title. Uh clever. Um, and he said that it would replace violence as parents' chief objection to TV. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, like, that you, is pretty pearl clutching. <laughs> yeah. Uh so soap brought us uh in its short run of devilish impurity. All of the greatest hits from the 1970s. There were communist revolutions in South America. There were cults. There were UFOs. Mm -hmm. There was organized crime. There was gay visibility. Oh, yeah. I've got got things to say about that. As do I. Yeah. Uh, And just like Anita Bryant, I'm going to be pretty focused on that. Um, (laughs) uh, The dwindling importance of the middle class as the shadow of the upper class. Hmm. Uh, Phil Donahue. (laughs) I Uh, haven't gotten to Phil Donahue yet. Yeah, uh, mental illness and the ignoring of it. Yeah, yeah. all of these things. Now, um, shortly thereafter, sight unseen and based only on Newsweek's article, which <laughs> the history of people doing that, um, uh, their article that misrepresented the actual facts. <laughs> um, the National Council of Churches, the United Church of Christ, the National Council of Catholic Bishops, uh, which they could only move diagonally, apparently. Um, the Southern Baptist Convention, so you know there's no dancing. Um, the <laughs> Roman Catholic Church's L.A. Archdiocese and the United Methodist Church all started to move to get soap censored. Oh, my goodness. Now, with that list, I think of Blazing Saddles, where huh. he's going, I want muggers. Buggerers, oh, yes. murderers, <laughs> thieves, and Methodists. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of the so when that uh, when the movie Dogma came out, uh-huh. um, my very very Catholic grandmother mm-hmm. who uh, you know, she had a subscription to the Catholic Voice, like oh. so that uh, and the Catholic Voice did an article about how that movie was like a total travesty and an abomination and all the things and sure so she went on like and so then she like went six degrees of separation and started boycotting ben affleck as a result because he was in the movie he was in it yeah and like it was all all his fault and the funny thing is like i feel like if she had watched the movie there's a lot of things that she wouldn't have approved of but the depiction of the catholic church wasn't all that bad <laughs> like yeah. It was clear that they were an aging grifter. Yeah. And it, it was a critique of the church. But I would think that some Catholics would be like, yeah, it has gotten that way. They yeah. have lost and the faith. You, know, you the, know, the Catholic church doesn't have the most stellar track record historically. So <laughs> like some real estate. Yes. That. Track record. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Real estate antiquities. They they yeah. have a big portfolio of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the first of the NFT holders, really. Yeah. <laughs> so the weapon of choice for all of these groups is financial pressure, as well as public and moral pressure. Um, the Southern Baptist Convention sold off its 2,500 shares in ABC, which itself was a problematic connection to even have, I would imagine. A, a church having <laughs> stock shares 
in in an entertainment it, it just it's seems... best if you don't look too closely at those things yeah yeah um and and none of the people putting money on the plate do so uh and <laughs> but they did so publicly too um stating that they quote did not approve of programming related to the abuse of human sexuality violence and perversion they didn't do it for all the other shows that were on abc shall we get into the cop dramas the the private yeah. eye the rockford <laughs> files you know shit like that no it was soap The Archdiocese of L.A. encouraged all American families to boycott soap because, quote, ABC should be told that American Catholics and all Americans are not going to sit by and watch the networks have open season on Catholicism and morality. Soap is probably one of the most effective arguments for government censorship that has yet come along. Oh, that comment's not going to age well. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine that that comment, like, with all their money, you wouldn't have a PR guy who's younger you know, I mean, you, he could have been a cabin boy for years first. It's fine. You can indoctrinate him and bugger him. But, <laughs> but like after his, he'd I mean, be like, got a direct line through the altar boys. I mean, right. Like, like just, hey, young kid, does this look like something we should admit? <laughs> does, does this strike you as off fashy? color? <laughs> yeah. Does this, does this make my ass look fashy? <laughs> <laughs> so, ah. Uh, in August, the Board of Rabbis of Southern California joined in. Um, and in December of 2021, I learned that in the 1970s, there was a Board of Rabbis of Southern California. <laughs> cool. Like, you know, organize how you want, but they jumped in. The United Church of Christ objected to, uh, to the fact that soap was going to follow Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh this was not without cause. However, in 1975, the FCC had mandated that there be a safe haven time and uh, time slot for, for families. But by 75, or I'm sorry, by 77, it, it was going away. Um, soap would be directly following the safe haven time. But again, in 77, the networks were like, man, fuck this. Like, that's costing us money. So no. Yeah. Um, so to the pearl clutchers of God, all denominations, money is always God in the yes, yes, in in money we trust. Um, and so they and they were they were like, this is stupid, this is performative. We don't we don't want to do this. Also, you know, we could make more money if we don't. But soap did show up after the safe haven time. But you know, you could make the argument like, well, it's right after safe haven time. It's like you get this time. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows. In England, they called it the threshold hour. Like after that hour, you could say shit. You could have tits. You could right. do all you wanted on TV. I don't know about that. I, I know you could do Benny Hill. Um, <laughs> but uh, so by 77, it's already phasing out. Uh, Pearl clutches of all denominations. Uh, this could have seemed like merely the beginning of our descent to a Bacchanalian television experience. <laughs> after all, Three's Company was in its second season. Uh, now, the, the thing about Three's Company that I get a kick out of is the fact that yes you had the guy pretending to be gay that's that's interesting right there um you had the guy from the apple dumpling gang uh wearing a neckerchief that's also fascinating to me but the fact that their rent was 75 dollars a month even as a kid watching that i was like what the fuck <laughs> i even did knew they it. each pay 75 dollars no a month? they each paid 75 
and they live right around the corner from the Regal Beagle. So you know it's prime real estate. Well, anytime you have a bar downstairs, I mean. Right. <laughs> but like 75 a month. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Jerks. But all of this got them to moving up forward for a letter writing campaign. Uh, this included assignments by kids in parochial school uh, prior to it even airing. So like kids, their, their yes. homework assignment is to yes. say, oh my God. Yes. Okay. 32,000 letters went to ABC this way. <laughs> 32,000 before the show even got aired. And Remember, those it was... kids don't give a shit about what they're writing. They're like, no, no, <laughs> they just don't want to get hit. No, <laughs> yeah. like, yes, teacher, I'll do whatever you say. Right now, uh, ABC reacted in two ways. First, it lowered its fee for advertisements during soap. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, we get that you're serious. We're gonna knock it from 75,000 per slot to 40,000 per slot. <laughs> That's the actual numbers. Secondly, there was an internal memo that went out uh, through ABC um, to specifically to the showrunners of Soap and the producers. And it ended up in the L.A. Times in its entirety in June of 77. This is still before the show airs. <laughs> all this. And it hasn't even hit the airwaves. So this is just all because they showed some executives and it got leaked? Yes. Like, that's a lot of, that's just so much effort. Like, I think about my own laziness and I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't care that much about anything. Right. Like, I remember when I spoke to a quiet, sleepy 7,500 student uh, school district's school board on a Sunday morning for two minutes. <laughs> I still get death threats. Like, I'm like, where do you find the energy? Yeah. My favorite was the letter that said uh, your parents obviously had sex with Bolshevik farm animals before they made you. Because oh. I'm like, the amount of like... That's so specific. Right? So, number one, I'm shocked that their, uh, you know, their knowledge of, of farm animal ideology is so clear. Like, how do they know that my, my parents didn't just, you know, fuck the hell out of fascist farm animals? But... <laughs> But but the other thing is so so you have to assume there's an ideology. The second part is that the fluid transfer carries that ideology and then mixes with the fluids to make me. <laughs> like the amount <laughs> like and then that has to have fermented in me that whole time. Like like if that's the case, then it's not really my fault. Because it's clearly That's, nature, it's not just nurture. Innate to you at yeah, that point. This is I was born this way. So <laughs> no, they'd never like that excuse. <laughs> no, they really don't. It really seems to be like yeah. the most damning thing you could do is get born somewhere. Yeah. Um, but so I found the soap memo. Uh well, I never found the soap memo, actually. Um, I hunted far and wide for a print version of it, but they all cost me money. And since we have even fewer sponsors than the show did by the end, I'm looking at you, Vlasic Pickles, for pulling your advertising before the show ended uh, because of the scene with the firing squad at the end of season four, which did actually end up being the final season, but it wasn't designed that way. So we have to make oh. do with that. Yeah. So here's here's a summary of what I found because I didn't want to pay. Um, it included the following admonitions. Please, quote, please delete the slut that polish girl get your clothes off it doesn't grow back transsexual <laughs> oh my god and did it hurt 
Now I'm I'm hoping it's all one line, but I'm doubtful that it's all one line. <laughs> Substitute the word fruit, slut, and Tinkerbell. Uh. Quote, the CIA or any other government organization is not to be involved in general news smuggling operation. <laughs> <laughs> now, this this character and storyline, which dealt with the Vietnamese opium smuggler who becomes involved in the Tate family through Jessica's long lost son, was eventually removed from the show Bible. Hmm. Uh, so a lot of this is just based on the show Bible as well. What what gets leaked in responses and stuff like that. I Quote, so want to see what like that show Bible looks like. Like I know. just oh my god. Like, did did you just have the characters so developed before you even had like a plot? Mm -hmm. Like I, I know. I, I'm I, fascinated by the creative process. I think like I'm, I'm like, hoping there's a plot graph. Like yeah. you know, like just a bar graph and a pie graph, and I want intersecting lines. <laughs> like when we were talking econ diagram of characters. Yes. Oh, just be, it'd be it'd be wonderful. Yeah. Um. Quote, in order to treat Jody as a gay character, his portrayal must at all times be handled without limp-wristed actions. Which, that's kind of interesting because they are afraid of getting fire uh, from from two sides here. Um, yeah. If you show him being limp-wristed, it's, it's uh, what's the word? Uh, you can't not be confronted with the fact that he's a gay character. Uh -huh. You can't lie to your kids. Um, so so he, he dresses like a woman in the first episode, which, true. You know, I think conflates a lot of different sexual identities in a problematic way, but you know. indeed, indeed. Uh, but um, I, I back then the understanding of, of homosexuality, transsexuality, transvestitism sure, different over here. Oh yeah. It's those are others. Um, yeah. And they're all tied to cocaine and disco, right? Um, which is Brown people music. So why, you know, why not blow it up in, in Wrigley field? Um, <laughs> Comiskey Park, actually. Did you did you know about that? The mm -mm. okay, so there's um there's been a lot of scholarship lately on disco, and I'm actually quite fascinated by it. Fascinated by it. That disco essentially was really fun music, and it was really fun music, um, popularized by black and brown people and homosexuals. Um, and the results it resulted in a huge uh backlash against it to the point where um there were stations that claimed you know we refuse to play disco um do you remember the movie airplane when they're flying yeah. over chicago and they hit the to tower it's like this is disco hits you know <laughs> k95 and it hits it and the whole audience apparently cheered like oh how funny disco was the nickelback at the time <laughs> because it was so like vibrant and fun um and so in 1977 they had a blow-up disco event at comiskey park where they got a whole bunch of disco albums and all of all the people in Comiskey Park were cheering it on as they blew up disco albums out on center field. But so if you think strange. about Chicago, Chicago is in the Midwest. You're getting mm -hmm. this Midwestern sensibility and yeah. it just it's it's wild. But anyway, um but I do think it's interesting because you have him as a limp-wristed character then he is uh incontrovertibly it's too gay. overt. Exactly. But also, there are a couple of uh, anti-defamation league type groups that have started up, and they are also making noise and being like, "Hey, yo, we're we're people. Treat us like people. Don't stereotype us." Like, yeah. So it's like you get it coming and going there. Um, a weird, a weird time where they actually are on the same page <laughs> with the Catholic Church. Um, we just all agree we shouldn't do this. Yeah, this is just a bad idea. Um, quote. 
The colloquy between Peter and Jessica, which relates to cunnilingus and fellatio, is obviously unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that there's a, qual- a colloquy as relates to uh, cunnilingus and fellatio. Obviously unacceptable. There's Quote, like so many Latin root words in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Um, uh, and combinate on uh, what do you call those uh, compound words too? Yeah. Um, the quote, the relationship between Jody and the football player should be handled in such a manner that explicit or intimate aspects of homosexuality are avoided entirely. It's the seventies, but it's interesting that this is all before the show fucking airs. Yeah. Um, quote, father Flotsky's stand on liberalizing the mass will have to be treated in a balanced, inoffensive manner. By way of example, the substitution of Oreos for traditional wafer is unacceptable. <laughs> that sounds delicious, though. Yeah, it does. Like, I'd go to communion a lot more often. Right? They served Oreos. Uh, the soap memo also contained notes that were subsequently disregarded by the production staff and the producers, including the following. Quote, please change Burt Campbell's last name to avoid association with the Campbell Soup Company. <laughs> Quote, Corrine's affair with a Jesuit priest, her subsequent pregnancy as a result, and later exorcism are all unacceptable. (laughs) And then my favorite, quote, please direct Claire to dump the hot coffee in some part of Chester's anatomy other than his crotch. Some part of his anatomy. So I guess you could throw it across his chest or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. That just wouldn't be fun, though. I'm just... I mean, I'm not saying there's not like, pages like that I've got the narrative. bookmarked on certain websites, but yeah, I, it, by and large, it, it, it loses a lot of the humor, at least. Susan Harris later responded to this note with, quote, so we didn't. We poured it in his lap. <laughs> <laughs> now, a year later, she gets interviewed by the New York Times, uh, where it's where I pull a lot of her quotes, actually, because um, she's there, there's surprisingly little uh, in her own words uh, that's not from this article or a few that cribbed it. Um, and she said, quote, I'm not bitter, but I am somewhat disappointed. I'm disappointed in the press. Something that could have been very dangerous started happening last summer, pre-censorship. I would have expected more people to speak out about it, but they didn't. That's fair. Yeah. And it becomes a bit of a rally point against censorship on studio sets and the like. Uh, but really, censorship didn't leave. It just became more polite and more remote. Um, now that gets us to the premiere of soap, but honestly, looking at the time, I think this is a perfect time to cut off, um, and start up episode two with the premiere of soap. So, uh, what I normally like to do is I ask Ed, uh, what he has gleaned, uh, specifically that phrase because it it used to irritate him. So I think he's just (laughs) kind of come to accept it. Uh, so Amanda, so far going through this history of the production of soap, what have you gleaned? Well, I've gleaned a lot about the creator as a person and kind of giving her her own narrative, but also placing just the context of this show within the social history that was happening at the time. It definitely gives the show a different backdrop kind of when you view it that way. Yeah, I I, I found that uh, a show that I watched as a five-year-old, I'd missed a lot, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i can't imagine why right you know because i was fully formed the entire time yeah. uh like you said i was never a wee lad so 
actually jesus when i was five my parents were like god you're depressed a lot i'm like but that that wasn't a red flag no (laughs) (laughs) so you're just a sensitive soul yeah feel all the things deeply sure sure (laughs) or or the other one is like uh when i was four i was i was accused of being too sarcastic (laughs) as a four-year-old it's like oh damn (laughs) but i feel like you would have had to have learned the sarcasm someplace like Someone taught you that shit. When I was teaching, uh, oh God, this would have been, let's see, these kids just graduated. So it would have been their sophomore year. So we're talking three years ago. One of my students said, Mr. Harmony, how come you're so good at sarcasm? And I said, I try really hard not to be. (laughs) Why? I said, because sarcasm is uh, is what you do when you're afraid to speak the truth. And they were all like, and they all just sat there like, oh shit, that hit deep. And I was like, wisdom. Think of all the times you're sarcastic. You literally say the opposite of what you need because being vulnerable enough to say what you need can't be done. Hmm. It's like the LOL at the end of negging someone, you know? (laughs) So I have these boundaries, LOL, you know? (laughs) So, so yeah, uh, you know, I used to teach Latin. It was, it was beautiful. But yeah, uh, at five, I didn't get nearly as much out of the show as I hoped to on Tubby. Tubi? Tubi? Tubi. Tubi. Is it free? T-U-B-I. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Downloaded it free. No shit. Okay. They probably have some paid content, but I sure. think at least this is on their, their free site. So. All right. Cool. Check it out, y'all. Awesome. So, okay. So next episode, we're going to talk a lot more about, and and you cannot divorce soap and its characters from what's happening at that time. So there's yeah. going to be a lot more social history of it at the time. Uh, but now is normally the time where I ask Ed what he's reading and what he could recommend to us. Given your bookcase that I saw last week, <laughs> um, I whew, there was some cool shit in there. Um, but uh, but what, what are you reading uh, or what do you recommend huh. to us to read? It could be well, related to this. It doesn't have to be. I am reading two books right now. Mm-hmm. I'm reading one of them is <laughs> so if you've heard of the show You on Netflix, it's uh I think that's the prequel a... to uh This Is Us. No, no. Oh. Um it's uh very different in tone. Oh. You is about like this guy that basically stalks women, but somehow like oh. he So some, it's the prequel he, to a, Us. He's an anti-hero kind of oh, okay thing where like everything is told from his narrative and he's handsome and he's charming and he finds ways to kind of justify his obsessive behavior in his head so he's kind of a sympathetic villain in a way so it's like so i'm reading the book that 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 show is based off of okay that's one thing that i'm reading and then the other book that i'm reading right now is by uh suleika juad called between two kingdoms um, so it's a memoir of a woman who she actually she's the partner of John pa- uh, John Baptiste, mm-hmm. who is the band leader on Stephen Colbert's show. Um, and he won a bunch of awards for writing the music for the Disney film Soul, the Pixar film. Um, okay. yeah. Anyway, so Suleika so, so like Jouad, this is her memoir and. Uh, she, when she was 22 years old, she was diagnosed with leukemia. So a lot of this book and she, she herself is like her father, I think is from, um, someplace in like North Africa and her mother is, uh, American, I think. And so anyway, it's like between two worlds, kind of her growing up in this multi, uh, family family 
or multi-ethnic household and her battle with cancer. Um, but part of the reason why I started reading it is she also has been hosting some workshops on basically how she took her journal and turned it into a memoir. Um, so I find cool. that particularly interesting. Neat. Well, I'm going to let those be the recommendations because nothing I have like is anywhere near as compelling right now. So. <laughs> I read a lot. Good. Good. That's, uh, you know, hopefully that's our audience. Um, so, uh, cool. Well, uh, can you tell us where to find you on the social medias? Yeah. Uh, if you're looking for me, I'm an Amanda Lanham yoga on Instagram, Amanda, L A N H A M like Lanham, Maryland. Okay. <laughs> and I post there. Um, sometimes you'll, i also have a YouTube channel, which you can link to off of my, um, Instagram. Um, but I also do some singing. Nice. Nice. Post some things there. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, as always, y'all can find me at duh harmony on Twitter and Instagram, uh, two H's in the middle. Uh, and then you can also find me on January 14th, which as of this recording's release will probably be next week. Uh, just so January 14th, uh, at Luna's downtown in Sacramento, uh, with capital punishment, uh, capital with an O. Uh, you need to bring proof of vaccination. You need to bring ten dollars to get in. Uh, but you, and you got to have that proof of vaccination. We will not let people in without that. Uh, we're going to keep everyone safe. But it is our first live show, so come and check that out. If for some reason this releases after that, uh, you missed a hell of a show. But don't worry, uh, provided Omicron doesn't wipe us all off the face of the planet, um, or provided we don't do the right thing as a civilization. Um, we are actually coming back on February 4th as well for the same, same place, same bat time, same bat channel, eight o'clock, uh, Sacramento time. So that's, that's where you can find me. And collectively you can find myself and Ed Blaylock, who is at EH Blaylock on the Twitter, um, or Mr. Blaylock on TikTok. Although I think he only has like two videos where he's talking about a district he used to work for. Um, but, uh, you can find him there. You can also find him at geek history time, find the both of us at geek history time on the Twitter. Uh, so feel free to hit me with information about the great Malay speech as you see fit uh, or your praise for Anita Bryant if you really want me to fight you. Uh, and also you can find us at geekhistorytime.com uh, where you can find all of our previous episodes just in case you can't find us on Stitcher, Spotify, or the Apple uh, podcast app. So that's pretty much where we are. Uh, so, uh, Amanda, thank you for joining us. I can't wait thank to have you, you back for, for the next me. episode. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, for the erstwhile, uh, Ed Blaylock for myself, Damien Harmony for Amanda Lanham. Uh, I'm Damien Harmony and this was a geek history of time. So until next time, keep rolling twenties. <laughs>